It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I am DJ Scruggs, along with my partner, Adam Adams. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Hey, Adam. And today, we are going to be talking about creative real estate, duh, but especially about property trades. And to help us explore this topic, we brought in Allison Kirschbaum. Hi, Allison. Hi, DJ. Um, Allison, before we get started, why don't, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the kind of deals you do, how you do real estate, what, you know, what is your, what's your elevator pitch? Um, I specialize in deals that do not involve banks and more recently that do not involve brokers. Um, I always, I constantly tell my partners whenever I partner with somebody new, if there's one thing that's going to kill your deal, it's going to be a bank or a broker. Wow. Yeah. And the best way to cut the bank out of the deal is to do a creative type of transaction, like a trade or a seller carry. And, and what kind of properties do you buy? Self-storage and assisted living. Well, that was quick. <laughs> well, let's say I specialize very closely. I, I feel like laser focus on a couple of different asset classes is the best way to do business. Yes, that is absolutely true. Uh, I'm just curious how you picked those. Um, well, self-storage was first. I originally started uh, with multifamily, or wanting to do multifamily in the Denver area. And for mm-hmm. those of us who live in Denver, we all know that multifamily here is extremely expensive. Yes. Uh, and being a new real estate investor, uh, it was just a little bit out of my price range. But I didn't want to pick an asset class that had... Uh, just a couple of tenants. I wanted that multi-tenant factor like multifamily mm-hmm. had. I didn't want to do retail or office space where you have just a couple of tenants. And if one of them uh, goes bankrupt, moves out, whatever it is, all of a sudden you've lost this huge chunk of your income, if not all of it. Yes. So looking for an alternative to multifamily, I settled on self-storage. And lo and behold, it's actually a much better alternative because instead of the 50% operating cost margin that you have for multifamily mm-hmm. in self-storage, you're looking between 30 and 40%. So that much more of the money goes back into your and your partner's pockets. Now, Nice. And are you doing that just in Denver area or? I actually don't own any self-storage in Denver because of those high prices. We're looking at things like $200, $300 a square foot to buy self-storage in Denver right now, Holy which is cow. nuts for any that's asset for class, house. right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's even nuts for a house in, in some ways. But mm-hmm. um, we actually own most of our self-storage in the Midwest, Missouri, Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma, et cetera. Okay. And yeah. what about assisted living? What, what attracted you to that? Assisted living, I do own all in Denver right now. And we are branching out into the Midwest, uh, Texas, Kansas. Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Um, what attracted me to assisted living was a seminar that my dad dragged me to. He said, this is, this is going to be a great asset class. The, the, the silver tsunami is coming. There's lots of baby <laughs> boomers. <silver> too. <laughs> well, you know, we, let's be honest. Um, they, there's going to be a lot of baby boomers needing this coming up, not only now, but in several years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked at it and looked at it and finally had to admit, well, dear old dad is right. It's, <sighs> it's a great asset class. You know, the older I got, the smarter my dad got. Right? Isn't that crazy how that works? <laughs> so um, let's turn to the topic at hand. So, but I want to start with the, the things you don't like. So you don't like banks. You don't like brokers. No, so no. so tell us a little bit If any of my that. brokers are listening, I apologize already. Except for those brokers. Right. <laughs> so there, there are some situations in which a broker is extremely helpful, like in the case of a, a really creative transaction like a property trade. There are brokers out there known as exchange brokers that belong to either the National Council of Exchangers or the Society of Exchange Counselors that are more experienced in real estate than um, me and five of my friends would ever be. Right. Um, they just have so much experience, 30, 40, 50 years even in some cases, of not only regular real estate, but creative real estate. They are always worth it for a very creative transaction. And, and they, just to be clear, do they have a special certification? They don't. Um, it's really... 
it's a little bit hard to describe how they get to belong to one of these societies, but the mm-hmm. only qualifications are that you are a licensed broker in whatever state you happen to operate in, uh, and that you have enough experience to be able to go to an SEC or NCE conference and trade property, quote unquote, on the floor. Um, they, the floor. It, yeah, well, it's literally like a huge trading floor. They set up a table in a big U shape and they, everybody brings property that they want to trade. There's like a little preview book that they send out. No way. Yeah. And they get together for like three days and it's like watching a stock exchange floor. The people pitching properties, hands flying in the air, cards flying in the air. Hey, I'll take it over here. I've, I've got this to trade. I've got that to trade, whatever it is. So, that sounds Yeah. Fun. It's pretty fascinating. I think you also have to know the secret handshake to be in the, uh, I think <laughs> you kind of do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially with the median age of a lot of these brokers, they've got to be for all greatest generation nerds or maybe even a little older in, in some cases. So there's got to be a secret handshake. And so when I hear exchange, the, the, my mind immediately goes to 1031 exchanges. Is, yes. is that relevant in this? Is that Very much primary? So. I mean, it, it's not a primary, but it's definitely uh, a type of trade that's heavily used. 1031s aren't appropriate in all situations. Um, and just because somebody is doing an exchange doesn't mean they're doing a 1031. Um, What we would call a straight across trade is where you have two people that can quote unquote match equities. Maybe I have a storage facility that has a million dollars of equity. You have a multifamily that has a million dollars of equity. I don't want what I have. You don't want what you have. Let's switch. We basically just trade titles in, in, Exchange real estate um, versus 1031s and regular transactions, exchange real estate focuses mostly on the value to the buyer and the seller, not the actual price of the asset. A 1031 is based on the cash value of the asset. Okay, that makes sense. And just uh, needless to say, we are not experts on 1031 exchanges. Oh, of course We're not. We're not tax no, no. advisors. <laughs> so, you know, talk to your attorney before uh, engaging in, in those kinds of transactions. Absolutely. So, so you have actually uh, a book that you'd like to recommend. I do. Uh, which I bought. And um, tell us a little bit about that book. Oh, smart guy. I heard he bought the book. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a book that I like to call the Bible of Exchange Real Estate, 300 Ways to Buy, Sell, or Exchange Real Estate by Robert W. Steele. Remember that author's name because there's <laughs> about six different versions of this book on Amazon. And this is the real one, the, run by, the one by Robert W. Steele. Um, and this has, it's exactly what it sounds like, 300 different ways to buy, sell, or exchange real estate. And all of them are super creative. Not one of them uses a bank except in limited circumstances. Okay. Let's talk about the bank part. Okay. Um, so you're not a fan of banks, it sounds like. No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, it, several bad experiences when I first got started in self-storage. Um, part of them was, uh, part of the bad experience I had was my fault. I'm, I'm going to admit, mm-hmm. I made some assumptions. I trusted people I shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have gotten a little lackadaisical at some parts, but I ended up losing quite a bit of money and was just fortunate that it was investor money that was unsecured and was from a friend who didn't really care whether or not we actually put it into a property as long as I paid him every month, which I'm still paying him every month for that mistake. Um, but what I've learned after working with bank after bank after bank and transaction after transaction is that they will always tell you one thing and end up giving you another or nothing at all. Um, they'll always say, oh, yeah, we can always do a seller second as a down payment. We can use that equity as your down payment. No problem. Then it comes to the part where they actually do the underwriting and it's, well, we actually need 15% cash down, which ruins your cash flow because you have to get it from a private lender. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's a bait and switch every single time. So how did you go from, okay, I'm frustrated with these banks, to did you just sort of figure out on your own you could do exchange? Did you, did you learn it from someone? I mean, uh, how did you kind of g- bridge that gap from, well, this sucks. <laughs> Let me go to this other thing that, that doesn't suck. Uh, I actually learned about exchanging before I got super frustrated with banks. I was thinking of exchanging um, 
Well, the the story of how I got started in exchanging goes into the story of how I met my exchange broker, Blake, who's here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is a consultant for all of my creative deals across the country. He, he Even though he's not licensed in those states, he can still consult on those deals, which is a great thing that exchange brokers can offer because they can provide their knowledge without having to run the whole transaction, mm-hmm. which is perfect for me being the contrarian that I am. Um, I saw on Craigslist actually an ad for a complete seller finance multifamily property, which Blake happened to be uh, selling. He was the exchange broker on it. And I said, this is either a huge scam or a wonderful deal. (laughs) So I drove myself to Colorado Springs and I met with Blake and saw this property. And we talked for two and a half hours about exchange. We spent half an hour on the property, two and a half hours on exchange. And I said, this is amazing. (laughs) I totally have to be a part of this. Um, I even thought about becoming an exchange broker for a while and then Uh decided that investment was more my thing. Um, so I, I had, uh, I had that meeting with Blake about six months after I first started investing in self-storage and hadn't quite gotten disenchanted with the banks yet. I thought, you know, mm-hmm. we'll get back on the horse. We'll give it another try. Uh, it didn't take too much longer after that before me and most of my partners swore off banks completely. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you've sworn off banks. So how are you doing transactions or maybe you can highlight a specific transaction? Please. Let me, let me preface that by saying that, um, I loathe most banks, but some some have warmed their way into my favor. Like <laughs> a, uh, a transaction that we're doing right now, which is a small community bank uh, in Columbia, Missouri. We're taking on a self-storage facility down there. Um, and they have actually, thus far, transactions on Aria, they have proved to be truthful in everything they've told us. So that's really all it takes. If they're is truthful with me, I'll work with them. No, it's not. So we're still, <laughs> okay, we're still waiting so. to see. Um, but without banks, we have to focus mostly on seller carry or trades. And at this point, while I have negotiated on several properties that could turn into trades, We've done 75% seller carry deals. Could okay. Be, could be close or, or lease option. It, it, they all fall into that category. Okay. And so I think for me, for people like me who are still relatively new at this mm-hmm. and we're used to a, well, we were sort of grown up thinking, yeah, the way you buy a property is you get a mortgage. Right. Right. Yep. You find the cash, you put it down, you get a mortgage. Um, how and I've talked to sellers. That's what they assume a lot of the time too, right? right. They're just Absolutely. assuming they're give them money. So how do you broach this topic with them if a deal doesn't make sense in a traditional transaction? Um, just maybe walk us through how it plays out. Well, and that's so. That's the first point that I like to make. I have three points about seller carry. The first point is that the best seller carry deals also do make sense in a traditional transaction. Oh, okay. Um, yes. A big conception about misconception about seller carry is that they can only be used with properties that are undesirable for some reason. A bank won't lend on them for whatever reason it is. That were, That's a great way to get into a seller carry as well. Mm-hmm. But let me give you an example. The last seller carry property that we closed on, uh, it was actually a wrap uh, instead of a traditional full seller carry because there was still a note on it from the previous bank. Um, can you describe a wrap as yeah. well? Yes. So a wrap uh, is very similar to a subject to. A subject to means that you're not giving the seller any extra um, compensation over and above the amount of the loan, except maybe a cash down payment. And then you're taking over their loan payments. So you're subject to the original debt versus a wrap means that you're giving them a cash down payment, paying the original debt, and you're giving them some kind of debt on top of that. So it's, it's like a combination of different compensation factors for the seller. So that's what we used on this property. They had an original note. We did an additional mortgage on top of that that was seller carry, and then we gave him a cash down payment. Um, This transaction made great sense for a local bank, but we were running short on the timeline. We couldn't find a bank in time that wanted to do it. Um, Banks that were outside of the city didn't like it because it was a smaller town and they didn't know it very well. Banks inside the town didn't want to do it because they did know the city. They thought it was too cyclical. Um, and it, it, it would have worked either way, but we preferred to do seller carry and thankfully so did the seller. And so 
was the seller even aware of this as an option when you came to them? Or oh, he was. To, okay. Yeah, he was. And um, the way that we figured out that it might be an option was actually the broker ended up giving me the seller's phone number, which was mm-hmm. our kind of way in to get talking to him. He wanted to verify some of the financials that we had given for the seller carry portion. Um, and I, ended, I just ended up saying, hey, have you ever considered seller carrying this? That's the second point that I'd like to make is you should never ask a seller, would you seller carry? You should ask them, have you considered seller carrying or carrying some, back, some portion of it back? It's, it's less aggressive. It gives them more chance to, to actually have a conversation about it instead of just thinking, oh my gosh, they're trying to take my money and my value and let's cut right. them off. Yeah. Right. And so with this particular transaction, then they, they obviously said yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so what did, it, what did it, the deal end up looking like in terms of cash out of pocket? Um, you know, I mean, just sort of walk us through the, the deal summary, the executive summary of, okay. of what it looks like. Well, the, the deal summary was, it was a sweet deal. It's a $2 million property. Um, there's a, about a million dollars of existing debt on it. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up putting down 10% total, so 200000 in two 5% sections, 5% at the time of closing and 5% within a year of closing. So we're not oh. up to that year portion yet. Um, he also gave us 25% off our first year of payments um, without accruing them to be paid the second year. Uh, so he, wait, that's like free money? Pretty like, much. Yeah, pretty wow. much. Yeah. Well, we told him, and he knew this for a fact, that his, his storage manager was kind of slacking on some things. The units weren't as full as they could be. There were a lot of maintenance issues we were going to have to take care of. There there were a lot of things that needed to be done. And I explained this to him. And he said, well, yeah, that makes sense. Let's, let's cut off about 25% of the first year's payments, and then you'll um, just continue with the original amount next year. So, and, and on top of that, it's a 10 year term, 20 year amortization. So it really doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> yeah. So you've got this guy locked in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and I guess it's from his perspective, he can sell that note. He can. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He has the flexibility to sell that note to whoever he'd like. Yeah. Um, wow. That's fascinating. So have you done any other kind of deals like that, that, that you can tell us about? Uh, I'm working on one right now that I, I can't give all the specifics on because it's still an ongoing deal, but it's a, um, it's a lease option for an assisted living property. And the owners have had some um, financial difficulties with the property. There's no longer any residents in it, which makes it very, very tough for a traditional lender to look at this as a good deal because nobody wants to buy a business with no business. But it's a residence that doesn't look like a residence. An assisted living residence is a house that's been converted into an assisted living. So it's not right Right. for the residence market. It's not right for the assisted living market. It's stuck in the middle. But the owners don't want to sell it. They're they're able to pay the mortgage. They They have an emotional attachment to it. They don't really want to sell. So mm-hmm. we're looking at doing a lease option. Uh, and the way we're structuring that is they, since they've been living in the house, we're creating a deposit amount for them that would allow them to put a down payment on a new residence and then a very low um, payment every month that would cover their current mortgage um, and then give them a little extra cash on top. So it's, it's similar to a subject to, but it's also a lease option. And would that also be like a, a, a longer term, like a 10 year Probably not. Lease options are unique in that you lease for a specific portion, and then after that lease portion is over, you either have the option to buy the property or to just jump out of the deal entirely. Yeah. Um, So we would probably have the longest lease option I've been able to do is five years in the lease portion, and then about uh, maybe an additional year after that in order to let us buy the property. So the the total term on this would probably be closer to five to seven years. Okay. Yeah. I have I have one question. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to find out. So, ten percent of two million is two hundred thousand. Yes, it's a mm-hmm. lot of money, and I know you do a lot of deals. Yes. Um, and so if you're if you're putting uh, money like that, a couple hundred grand per deal, I mean, eventually you're going to have to stop doing deals if it's all your money. Correct. Yeah. So how do you where do you get all where do you get all that money? 
uh, from private lenders, private lenders and other partners. Uh, as I explain it to some people, I have a bunch of active partners, like in the case of my self-storage business, that help us actually run the business. And then in the case, and then I also have a, a cadre of people who just like to send me money, and I send them a check every month, and that's what we call private lenders. Can you introduce okay, me to cool. some of those people? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I've learned a lot today. Yeah, Thanks. for sure. I mean, so where can, um, just for our listeners, where can they find you online? They can find us online at primaseniorliving.com. That's our assisted living business. Primas, P-R-I- P-R-I-M-A, seniorliving.com. Ah, Primas Senior Yep. Living. And on the self-storage side, they can find us at inkinvesting.com. Ink as in ink in a pen, I-N-K investing.com. All right. Oh, well, there I-N-K, you have it. okay. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Allison. We really appreciate your coming on and sharing your wisdom. Thank you. It was great to be here. Thank you.